0: welcome to practically political we're so glad to have you with us i'm dave spencer
1: and i'm carrie sheffield all right dave let's get right to it so now and i love to say these words house speaker nancy pelosi will no longer be speaker uh, my question is do you think that democrats could maybe get to the table and hark back to uh, what we heard from the democrats of abortion being safe, legal, and rare from Bill Clinton um, because it's really growing, actually. And in fact, now medication abortions outnumber surgical abortions. And there's been the Washington Post did a big investigation to show there's a big overflow or a new push to bring illegal abortion pills through Mexico. Um, Do you think this is dangerous? They're not regulated. um, Will Democrats, this is just a common sense kind of thing, close the border?
0: Well, you're you're asking uh, as usual. Your statement has a whole bunch of things in there, but let me respond. First of all, I think you pro-lifers have to understand, because I know one of the things I've also heard: oh, the number of abortions is starting to uptick slightly. What you are taking a fundamental right away that has existed for 50 years in this country. We don't take rights away; we expand rights. That that's what we've always done. So I hope you can understand why there's a little bit of a backlash and why people might be getting abortions because they feel they're going to be losing the right. Secondly, this whole thing about Democrats wanting abortion till birth is BS because what they're, what the, a lot of these, these pro-lifers are doing is they're twisting the words when they say the response to the question, oh, do you su- support abortion till birth? Well, it should be decided by the doctor. It should always be a doctor's decision and a patient's decision. That's why that ban on so-called partial birth abortion was lame. Congress should not be legislating medicine. That's something that doctors for decide. But to answer your question, uh, you know, the abortion pill is legal and that's a way that people are going to get abortions. And so I think you pro-lifers have to understand that it's not going to be like pre Roe versus Wade, where a ban on abortion means that the only alternative was to people was people to have it done illegally. So as far as closing the border, we've had this conversation before. There are a lot of illegal drugs that are coming across the border. That didn't start with Biden. and It's not going to end with Biden. But can you at least acknowledge that when you take a fundamental right away, that people are going to have a reaction? And maybe you're being a little insensitive to this reaction because people are losing a fundamental right.
1: I, I, it was never a fundamental right, from my perspective. You can't. From the Constitution, right it place. was. There's nothing in the Constitution about abortion, so
0: Roe versus
1: Wade.
0: But but, Carrie, you're you're splitting hairs. The bottom line is, people felt, and in all almost all states, they had a fundamental right to an abortion. This is a right which is now being taken away. So, can you acknowledge? See, you're just trying to mind it was. Put that aside. People are saying this is what we've been able to do for 50 years, whether it's right or not. It was legal. Now you're telling us it's illegal. You're taking it away. Can you understand how people might have a reaction to that? And maybe you're not being a little insensitive.
1: Well, the truth is that the abortion uptick actually happened before Dobbs. So that's what I'm thinking about. And that's why I asked the question, because if democrats were as vigilant about preventing abortion as they seem to be about terminating abortion then we could finally get some pragmatic you know agreement at the table
0: see this is this is another thing which i don't understand is that a lot of pro lifers suggest that people are pro abortion i have never met one person in my entire life who is pro abortion abortion is something that yes, people support people support hold on people support the the right you may not say it's a right, but people support the legality of being able to have an abortion. Nobody wants to have an abortion. It's a traumatic thing. It's something that women don't want to go through. I have never met a single woman who said, oh boy, I'm so glad I had that abortion. That was really a fun experience. And this is where I will say both sides, I felt, have been able to come together because the idea is to restrict abortions. So if the pro-life movement weren't so... Uh, is so consumed with, you know, making it as illegal and, you know, punishing people as much as possible, we might be able to have a happy medium where we could reduce the number of abortions. And by the way, the number of abortions were going down every year. They peaked at about 1.5 million, uh, I think back in the 80s or 90s. And the last time I checked, they were at 600,000, something like that. So it's been happening. It was happening just fine. Before the, before the Supreme Court. And Samuel Alito, by the way, broke a pledge that he gave to Ted Kennedy when Ted Kennedy asked him, and Samuel was no, no, I really believe in precedent. I'll never vote to overturn Roe. Well, you can see how trustworthy those guys are. Go ahead.
1: Well, just because you respect precedent doesn't mean that you have to agree that it stands. I mean, the, the thing said,
0: is that- if if it, told Ted Kennedy, I'm not going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. The precedent's too strong so he lied through his teeth which isn't a surprise
1: well i haven't, I haven't seen that transcript but i do know in general that precedent is not sacred um, because in our constitution uh black people were two-thirds of a person and then under you know brown v board of education repealed uh, you know, separate but equal education. And that had been precedent for a long time. So yeah, precedent doesn't mean oh. that something is sacred or that it should remain. So as far as I'm concerned, and yes, I, I'm I'm happy. I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad that the number of abortions have been going down. We are ticking back up more toward seven or 800,000. Um, so it's going back up. And again, that predated that going ticking back up. Well, that, again, I actually, I went to my, I went to my first um, pro-life march when I was 15 years old. So I've been around this space uh, just with respect um, quite a bit more than you in terms of speaking to women. I've been to many pro-abortion marches as well as pro-life marches. And yes, there are numerous women. There are lots of women who, who are, as you say, but there are lots of other women who actually are very pro-abortion and they they rejoice in abortion. In fact, they lena dunham who has millions of followers um recently did in one of her shows about an abortion shower to celebrate having an abortion and it's they want to normalize that they have campaigns of saying wearing t-shirts about how excited you are to have an abortion that's not normal that's not that's and so at least we can agree on that that that's not healthy thinking.
0: well we no we're, well let me just respond first of all the uptick that's a specious statistic about the uptick because word had spread out that Dobbs was going to be overturned months before, I mean, that Roe was going to be overturned months before Dobbs came out. So that's one of the things that, that started the uptick. But putting that aside, again, people celebrate the right to an abortion. Okay, these uh, I've known people that have celebrated the right to have an abortion, the right to terminate a pregnancy from someone they didn't like or from uh, being raped or being the victim of incest or whatever but no one has said, oh, I can't wait to go in and have that abortion. It's an unpleasant experience for anybody. So again, this is what I'm saying. This is where both sides, I think, could have come together because because everyone wants to have as few abortions as possible. The argument is how legal should it be? What are the protocols? All that. But I think it's a failure on both sides that we never came together and did more on this. But Anyway, a very, very spirited topic. But my question for you is, as soon as the midterms are over and there was a dismal showing for the Democrats, I mean, for the Republicans, Fox News came out and has pretty much abandoned Trump. You know, the, the what Rupert Murdoch's print is calling him, the Post called him Humpty Dumpty, the Wall Street Journal called him a loser. So I guess my point is, is it finally time to say, hey, Maybe Donald Trump is hurting us. We've lost. He's hurt us three elections in a row now, and it's time. It's time to move on. Well,
1: I, we, I've said this before. I'm not going to endorse in the primary. I don't endorse. I work for a nonprofit. Um, but as far as policies, I'm always focused on policies. Uh, and for policy, uh, Trump's policies. Are a winner. I mean, we're, we're going to have millions of babies that are going to be saved. So that's a winner, as far as I'm concerned. And no other Republican in in the last you know 50 years had been able to deliver that at the ballot box. So that, by my mind, is part of why I think a lot of people are very loyal to him because of his policies. And I think I hark back to 2016 because it, I feel like we're in the twilight zone of history's repeating itself because Fox News hated Trump back then. And I remember at CPAC in 2016, uh, Chris Wallace and how he was hammering him uh, and, and not just him, Megyn Kelly. I mean, it was uh, he was very disfavored back then. Um, and again, I, I'm not endorsing uh, Donald Trump. I'm not endorsing Ron DeSantis. Um, I, I want good policy at the end of the day. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I think that uh, he certainly has proven uh, that he can deliver when it comes to these policy wins. Um, And we'll see what happens in the primary.
0: Well, first of all, comparing 2016 and 2024 are total apples and oranges because any Republican president who would have come in and would have had the chances to appoint people to the Supreme Court, that's not going to happen this time. So that would have happened. That's not a fair reason to say, oh, I love his policies. It's not like it's energy policy or something else. So. That that's invalid. But um, the bottom line is this is not endorsing policies. This is saying, hey, this candidate is now a loser for us. So maybe we have to look elsewhere. That's not endorsing a candidate, Kerry. That's saying, hey, you know, this isn't working. This guy's cost us three times. One of the reasons the Democrats did so well, because Trump once again inserted him himself into this election, so it was less a referendum on Biden, which was better for Republicans, and more of a rehashing of Trumpism, which obviously is better for Democrats. Now, and that's not even including all the weak candidates that he shoehorned in. I mean, think about this. I mean, aren't you happy, at least, that look at the six states that Trump tried to interfere in. The election deniers went down in every one, including Kerry Lake, who was the most scary, I mean, this is someone who really was almost like the Manchurian candidate. And, you know, if she'd won, she would have been standing right next to Trump at his dismal, uh, soporific announcement where there wasn't a single U.S. senator or a single governor and congressman who'd been voted out. Nobody was there of any substance. And that's not a that's not a coincidence. He's old news. He's a drag on the party. Why won't you admit it?
1: I'm not going to be dragged down by you, my friend. No, uh, no,
0: I'm just I, saying. Admit that he's been a loser for the last three elections. Can you admit that?
1: I mean, that's, the, I, I, that's I a
0: fact. That's like saying that the sun rises in the east. That's not a matter of opinion. That's not an endorsement. So, can you at least say that? Well, I, I think I think to some extent <laughs> you, in, you won't even I,
1: acknowledge the facts. <laughs> I try to respond. I think to some extent the uh, abortion question actually. Uh, did influence a lot of the the turnout more so than i than I hoped that it would have. Um, and I think that was actually a big a big factor um because unfortunately, there was a lot of scare tactics. And then also the Democrat Party really took a dark turn. Um, if you listen to the rhetoric from uh, from Barack Obama, Barack Obama in two thousand and eight he won with hope and change. And then fast forward to twenty twenty two, Barack Obama's out there saying, Democracy is on the ballot. Half of the country is evil. Neo-Nazis from Joe Biden. So, yeah, people were scared. And I think that that's unfortunate because they've demonized half the country. So, yeah, maybe they were motivated more because people don't want want to uh, dehumanize half the country. So anyway. I
0: I love I love that a Trump supporter is pontificating on the politics of fear and division. That, That that is that is just beautiful. I mean, it. got to love the, the hypocrisy. I mean, that's what Trump wrote into town on. So, you know, again, you know, and he's still he's still doing it. So the bottom now, line is, yes, I think democracy was on the ballot. And frankly, my two takeaways from the midterms were the democracy one. The voters said, you know what? Uh, this is what we don't want. This democracy does does matter. The Republican Party and Donald Trump. Donald Trump, they are a threat to democracy. And the other thing that won in the midterms was, frankly, decorum, because I felt I was worried that the Republicans felt, you know what? We can get away with anything. Donald Trump can hurl, you know, racial insults at Mitch McConnell's wife. Uh, Herschel Walker can pay for how many abortions and threaten how many women. Donald Trump Jr. can put out a Paul Pelosi Halloween kit. I mean, just despicable stuff. And I think voters said, you know what? We don't want that. You guys are the crazy party. And we're not going to vote for that. So, and by the way, I hate to say it, but but things aren't looking good for the new for the new house. So well, um,
1: Nancy Pelosi, the red wave was waving goodbye to Nancy Pelosi. So we got well, Nancy
0: Pelosi would have waved goodbye even if Democrats had held control of the House. She said she was only going to serve for four years uh, as speaker, and uh, she and I believe I believe she would have honored that. So that didn't have anything to do with the Republicans taking control yeah. of the House. But anyway, what's your second question?
1: I'm, I'm doubtful, but, but who knows? It's hypothetical in another universe. But um, so yeah, I, I want to ask you, and we haven't really talked about this issue. So crypto, crypto's in the news recently with this this crypto billionaire, Sam Bankman Freed. Uh, his crypto empire completely cor- uh, collapsed, and now he's under investigation for fraud.
0: Right. Put- I've been against crypto from day one. Yeah. It's not based on anything.
1: Well, that, that, I'm curious. Yeah. So, so, But then he said something very interesting, and that was about ESG, this uh, environmental social governance. And he said, I was playing the game. I donated millions to these trendy you know, environmental causes. I was Mr. ESG king. Uh, and he called it out as a fraud, basically, um, basically kind of confessing his his behavior. Uh, so do you think this ESG thing, what do you think about ESG? And do you think now, finally, people are seeing it for what it is?
0: Well, I think, I you know, as with as with all the cases or as with a lot of organizations, some are good and some are bad. So I just don't say, you know, you can't just lump all the ESGs into one basket and say we need to throw it out. A lot of them, yes, are questionable, but let me just go back to the whole crypto thing and, you know, Sam's fallen empire and how 16 or 23 billion, whatever, what evaporated. What you don't hear from right-wing media is his number one guy gave 24 million to Republican causes, whereas Sam gave 23 million to Democratic causes. So it's pretty much a wash. So let's, let's, as usual, there's, you know, there's a lot of money coming in from both sides and it's the dark money, which which has the anonymity. That's actually worse uh, coming from the right because of people like the Koch brothers. But having said that again, you know, if you ask me about individual organizations within the ESG structure, then I can answer that. But to say that they're all bad is oftentimes throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
1: That's a fair point.
0: Yeah. So I think that it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'm sorry for all the people that have lost money on crypto, but folks, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's not based on anything. Okay. Even the U.S., since we went off the gold standard, the full faith and credit of the United States government is behind the bonds that we sell. It's behind the dollar that and the $100 bill or whatever you have in your wallet that says, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. That's the US government. There's nothing behind crypto. So eventually it was, it was going to fall. And Bitcoin is the most stable, but it's down 60 something percent. I don't see how it ever, it ever comes back. Well, my question for you is I just heard that uh, in addition, in, in exchange for getting, his, getting her vote to be speaker and getting Kevin McCarthy to 218 votes which he needs to be- become a speaker, he's promised Marjorie Taylor Green that they're going to have hearings on Nancy Pelosi. Okay, this is someone who is, re- who is retired from leadership. So my question for you is, it seems to me like this is just going to be chaos. Kevin McCarthy has proved that he's not a leader. He is spineless. He's immoral. He's not very deft. So he's selling out to everyone to become a speaker. So he's not going to have any uh, leverage to lead. He's not going to be able to keep his his, uh, crew in line. And, you know, whatever you want to say about Nancy Pelosi, and she's definitely too liberal for my taste, she is the most effective speaker probably in history because the job of a speaker is to get the votes and to keep keep your caucus in line. She has only literally had one defeat, one time where she hasn't been able to do that. Kevin McCarthy, it's like herding cats. So my question for you is, How is the Republican House going to tackle the things they said they would tackle, like inflation and energy prices and the border, when Marjorie Taylor Greene is is way more concerned about having hearings on Nancy Pelosi? And you have weak leadership.
1: Yeah, you packed a lot in there, my friend. Uh, So yeah,
0: your questions.
1: I know you're learning from me.
0: I'm learning from the master.
1: (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh well okay first I personally think uh Kevin McCarthy loves America and that he he truly wants what's best for now and for future generations that's what I personally believe and but whether that you- make him an effective speaker? I I think that that's um, you know, it will be seen. I mean, I think I think the uniformity of the Democrat Party in terms of how lockstep it is, is also testament to the fact that it's been so yanked far to the left that it's almost unrecognizable. The fact that there's only one Democrat in the entire caucus in the House um, who is pro-life is pretty shocking. It's not the case on, on for the Republicans. It says, so the Republican party is actually a a bigger tent. So that's part of it. And then also, abortion, yes. No, but in in general, in general too. I mean, uh, you, you just had 12 senators who voted on uh, gay marriage. And so, and then you have economic issues. There are, you know, Republicans who voted on, on the infrastructure. So it is a bigger tent party at the end of the day. Um, but and the thing about Nancy Pelosi is that the January sixth uh, investigation has never actually truly taken accounting of of her behavior and her actions and there her decisions leading to it. So I think here's the red some-
0: herring. Why didn't she call the National oh, Guard? Sorry. I know we've heard this thirty times before.
1: No, Kash Patel and others who were senior in the Trump administration and working in national security and defense. They said that she was the one who said, I didn't want the optics of it. So we've covered this a bunch of
0: times before, so it's not even worth the response. But Mike, but that's a great speech. But the question was, how is he going to lead? How is he going to solve the problems that he's that he's pledged to solve, which I agree. Democrats have not been very good on solving. So there's an opening here. How's he going to do it when he's got to sell out to get the the right wing votes? And by the way, I think if you asked, if you took the four most extreme members of the House, who are probably AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilhan Omar, and Ayanna Presley, if you stack them against Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert. And Matt Gates, I think most Americans would say that the Republicans were more extreme. OK, so let's let's just get that out there. The Republican Party has gone more to the right dangerously than the Democratic Party has to the left. But that's we can debate that here or there. But the bottom line is that Kevin McCarthy has not shown any ability to lead at any opportunity he had. He's selling out to get the votes. So what's he going to do?
1: Well, I know for a fact, actually, because I recently spoke with someone who worked for him for seven years, I know for a fact that they are actually, they're planning two tracks. They're planning a okay. legislative track and then an investigative track. So I think you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think you can investigate the failures of Nancy Pelosi, for example, while also bringing up legislation that, you know, for example, there's the Congressional Review Act, the CRA, um, that, and then there's other methods where they can repeal the Bi- the terrible Biden regulation. You know, there is an estimate um, from a think tank recently that said the regulation that Joe Biden has put under their executive fiat has has put in three hundred billion dollars in economic constraints. And and, uh, so there's a lot that Congress can do. And I know and I know that Republicans want to push that forward. The big obstacle, obviously, is, is the fact that they won't have the Senate. So they can do as much as they can, but if they can't get any, you know, and maybe they'll be able to, to pick off some of the more moderate, reasonable Democrats. We'll see what Joe Manchin does.
0: Well, again, um, you know, if they, if, if, if they actually come through, and by the way, uh, investigating someone who's no longer in the leadership role, Nancy Pelosi, or they say they're going to go after Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, it's old news. People, people don't care. It's all, it's all showmanship.
1: Donald Trump's so, not president and yet we still have all those January 6th hearings.
0: So no, uh, but that's different because that is, <laughs> we're talking about a threat. This is someone who led an insurrection and tried to overthrow an election. That's a lot different than someone who, you know, uh, has a laptop where he was, you know, talking to call girls and getting more money as a, as a, Consultant or as a board member than he should have. Look, Hunter Biden is a pathetic drug addict. I'm not defending the guy. Look, every people you know. Look at Ronald Reagan was estranged from one of his kids or a couple of his kids. You know, people have kids that aren't great, but you know, you, Bo Biden was a model son, right? So he had all, and his daughter is nice. So you know, you people have bad kids, uh, and you can't blame him for that. I mean, Jeb Bush is, I think, the world of Jeb Bush, and one of his kids has issues. So again, it's, uh, you, I don't think you can hold that against someone, but I would just hope that they'll focus on legislating. But I think Kevin McCarthy is way too weak. And I think that there's way too much. And the, the margin is way too narrow. If they had a 30 seat margin, then you could buy off the Marjorie Taylor greens and the extremists and still legislate. But I don't see how that's going to happen now. Wouldn't you agree that the small, uh, And again, this is an election where they should have won 30 or 40 seats, but it looks like it's going to be, what, 221 to 214, maybe 222 to 213, if they're lucky. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's going to be tight. I do not envy Kevin McCarthy in that spot, but I think that with Hunter Biden, the, the real problem is that there is a potential tie to his father. I mean, he referred to him as the big guy getting a cut of his basically foreign uh, sailing of the, the prestige and the U.S. assets um, on Air Force Two um, and all that. So that, so this is a legitimate national interest concern, uh, as well as the possibility of money laundering. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot that should be looked at. And, and the fact that uh, Twitter suppressed that New York Post story and the fact that The New York Times took over a year to validate it. And then and then these whatever dozens of national security experts who said that the laptop was Russian disinformation. Not a single one has apologized. Um, it's So a lot of people are very angry about it because uh, polls have shown that if that story had not been suppressed, that it would have been determinative for a large swath of people.
0: Well, again, you know, I think it's and but this, if you put it on the Trump scale of, you know, egregious act, this, this would rank maybe a two or three. But I think Let's take a look at the way things are being handled with trump okay things like that are being handled by on the state level the new york attorney general is suing them exposing what a fraudulent house of cards the whole trump world is right and so he's that may bankrupt him which is his his, his worst nightmare there are states georgia they're getting him for racketeering the way he called up uh, brad raffensperger and asked for those infamously asked for those twelve thousand votes so That should be handled on a state and civil level. And that's what Biden's, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop or financial issues. When it comes to threats to our country, like Trump's insurrection, then it should be handled by Congress. But there's nothing that even comes close on Biden's docket or, frankly, any president's activities that rank near trying to overthrow an election. And that's why I hate when this false equivalency, oh, Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden not to honor the election. Terry McAuliffe said that the, you know, whatever election in Virginia wasn't valid. Yeah, that was all talk. Nobody, you know, nobody tried to throw democracy under the bus. Nobody, you know, incited an insurrection. Nobody went, did everything they could to hold on to power every possible way. So it's a total false equivalency. And I think- Frankly, we're getting it right. Thrust to democracy, Congress handles. Everything else, state and civil. It, don't you think that's fair? Well, we
1: just got word today that uh, the, the Biden DOJ, only a few days after his rival has declared candidacy, that he's going to use the White House to persecute uh Donald Trump that he's going to name a special prosecutor. So uh, yet again there's more federal interference by someone and and and, and if it w- if, there, if it was the reverse the democrats would impeach whoever republican w- was for doing that for for naming a special counsel. That that that's the way democrats operate. So yeah, I I, I just we could and and I can so you send you the poll but Harvard University does polling with Mark Penn, who was Bill Clinton's pollster, and they found that 67 percent of Americans in general, or I think it was voters, said that if the Hunter, Hunter Biden allegations of the corruption and the use of uh, you know the, the federal office in order to enrich your pockets, um, that it would be impeachable. So this is very significant. Um, and I don't, I you and I can disagree about whether to downplay it. I personally don't think we should.
0: Okay. And, and, and by the way, the reason the Justice Department is, is making the announcement now, has and you know just as well as I do, has nothing to do with Trump's announcement, is that November 15th was the deadline because they can't do it right before an election. They, you have to wait a week after an election. So it has nothing to do with Trump's announcement. Trump's announcement was the most anticlimactic, insipid uh, thing I'd ever seen. Nobody cares except his diehard supporters He's such a narcissist that I think he'll burn the house down before he sacrifices the spotlight. He's he just is so incensed that Ron DeSantis is getting all this attention. And by the way, I love his nicknames. I mean, I love his ability to make them. But Ron De Sanctimonious, come on, Mr. President, <laughs> you can do better than that one. That's a that's actually pretty weak. <laughs> so we will we will see what happens. We'll but, see. you know, 75% of Republicans in February of 21 thought he should run for president. That number, the last time I saw, it, is like 39 or 40. So it'll continue to go down. And as I've said, sadly, the only thing that's going to reform the Republican Party is losing because there's no conscience left. There's no, you know, shame. There's no the bar's too low or there's such a thing as rock bottom. Trump put all that stuff out the window. So sadly, it may take losing in twenty four. It might take four consecutive election losses before the Republican Party says, "You know what, MAGA Trump stuff, we got to move on." So, well, let's hope it happens before that for the good of uh, for the good of our democracy. But I'll give you the final word.
1: Well, again, we we shall see what happens. Uh, again, no matter what happens. His four years as president, uh, to me, the fact that we're gonna have millions of babies who are gonna live, uh, to me, he, he will always be a hero. So, and do I agree with every tweet he made? No. Do I agree with every statement? No. Um, I, I just think that, um, you know, the Republican Party at the end of the day is gonna make their choice. Um, whoever to me, and if it was a Democrat who would embrace policies that I agree with. I would be willing to vote for them. Shocker. Uh, But at the end of the day, yes, I I think that um, ultimately Donald Trump was created actually by liberal Hollywood. If you didn't like Trump's attitude or his behavior or his braggadocious uh, persona, he was created by liberal Hollywood. And so I think that that's setting up a mirror to itself. And that's that's why I I think I take particular enjoyment by liberal Hollywood being so triggered by him um, because they really created... Uh, that sort of behavior in terms of popularizing it. So, and uh, we'll see. I I do hope that our country can come together more. Um, Abraham Lincoln did say that a house divided cannot stand. Um, And he said that our country will die by suicide, actually, before it will die from an external threat. And uh, and I agree, it's up to us to prevent that.
0: No, I I think you're right. And I will partially agree with you that Trump is the symptom. He's not the problem. But what, what created Trump was populism not liberal Hollywood, and specifically inequality because populism breeds inequality and inequality breeds someone like Donald Trump who went against the Republican uh, cherished things like sensible immigration and free trade because that's what populism fears. And again, any Republican president would have nominated three Supreme Court justices. So the question I say is, Um, The bottom line is, is, you know, the damage to democracy and the disgraceful foreign policy and all that worth it? You seem to think it was. I seem to think it wasn't. That's a perfect place to leave our show for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining us for another great episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. I'm Carrie Sheffield. Until next time.